0: Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, a.k.a. Red Sox Dugout, alongside Garrett Jacobs-Meyer, Joey Nagel, and Alex Jefferson. Hi. Hello. We have a loaded episode for you today. Some good and some bad, but we have Jamai Webster back on the podcast today. Um, our first ever two-time guest. <laughs> that was a great interview. We'll get to that, but before we get to that, before we get to the good Andrew Benatendi is no longer a member of the Boston Red Sox.
1: Yeah, that's true. Who wants, who, who wants to start? I, I would, I would, my thing is they sold him when he was at the lowest he possibly could get value-wise. Um, that just is something that bothers me besides all the actual baseball. Bro, the guy stunk last year, but it was a crappy season. You couldn't have given him one more, whatever. He that's... played,
2: he only played 14 games and he was injured the whole year.
1: That's
2: facts. Nice. Also, yep. why are we doing a salary dump trade if the whole point of doing salary dump trades is to get under the luxury tax and we did that?
0: Yeah, we're already we? under it. And we why? paid a good portion of his contract too.
2: Exactly. We that was things. only
0: worth six point six million, anyways.
2: <laughs> when you think about it, with the guy that we signed for three million, we only saved like eight hundred grand by trading away yeah, a, like someone with so much potential.
0: Look, Heim Bloom is a smart guy which is why I think he should be smarter than this. Like I understand what they're trying to do. It would make sense to me if Andrew Benatendi had a great year last year or at least played more than 14 games, but he didn't. And you're trading him at his lowest point ever in his career. That doesn't make any sense. It's not a logical move. I understand that you want to trade one guy for five guys. That makes sense. You build depth in the minor leagues, but Andrew Benatendi wasn't the right guy for that or at least not at the right time. You don't sell low. That doesn't that that's not a logical thing to do. He's had good years in the majors. And then last 2019, he it wasn't one of his best years. He was not that great. And then 2020, like we all saw it. He probably had like two hits or something and then was injured. Like that's not the point where you're like, "Okay, I think it's a good time to trade this guy." If you really want to trade him, give him until the trade deadline this season. Then trade him. Because then he has some time to build up value. You can't really get any worse than 14 exactly. games with like a, a 100 average or whatever. You can't get right. much worse than that. So give him some time to build up some value. Then you can trade him if you really want. Because then he has a higher value. You're not selling low there. It doesn't make sense to me why they chose now to trade Andrew Benatendi.
2: I guarantee you they could have traded him at the at the deadline and gotten the exact same package they got,
1: if or not better. more. Yeah. Exactly. Because they're banking like, on
2: the Royals probably would have paid higher too, if they were trying to make a playoff push. And it was like the mid season market. They were like kind of teetering on the outside of that wild card spot. Like,
0: and that's if you're committed to trading Andrew Benintendi,
2: but there's no reason why you should have even traded him. Like there's
0: no reason why that should be a need. Like, again, I understand the trade one guy for five players, but who would you rather have? one guy who was the former number one prospect in all of baseball and is still 26 years old and can still break out and be an all-star type player or five mediocre guys that half of them may never see the majors like we i know baseball is a business and this is a business type move but part of being a business is keeping your customers happy and in this case it's the fans and Trading away your best players, trading away the fan-favorite players may work in a a place like Tampa Bay, where they have like 13 collective fans. But this is Boston, and and the fans care. The players matter to the fans. And you can't make the fans of a team like the Boston Red Sox unhappy. And right now we are, because we lost Mookie. Like, look at the the 2018 outfield. They're all gone right now, unless we somehow sign JBJ, but we won't. JBJ's gone. Mm -hmm. Mookie's gone. The best player in our team's gone. Andrew Ben has gone. Mitch Moreland's gone. David Price, Rick Porcello, Joe Kelly, Craig Kim. You can just go down the list of all the players from that 2018 team that are now gone. Like, it's insane how downhill this team has gone in such a short period of time.
2: And it almost feels like it was avoidable in like yeah. every... Like, that when we won the World Series in 2018, that was, like, the start of our window. I think at least that's how we perceived it as Red Sox fans. Like, most of our talent was really young, But it's just like almost all gone Like somehow The Red Sox All they needed to do was get under the salary cap And Or the the luxury tax And somehow they managed to do so They accomplished their goal of doing so But in doing so They traded away Most of the team And most of the future of the team In terms of major league players That were ready to start now It's
1: it's just this team is not ready to win games. Um, I, I'm just gonna throw that out there. We're not. We're gonna stink, in my opinion. I, we have too many holes to just ignore. and We got mediocre guys to shove in there. I don't. I don't see it happening.
0: I was optimistic up until the Benny deal, but then once well, they traded him, it kind of shows. Like, yeah, we're not really gonna.
1: What matters go all more in. to you? What matters more to you? Seven, seven mediocre guys that you don't know what they have, or you know, three or four actual players you know what you got with more potential it's just it bothers me a lot
2: well, and I mean like look at the outfield like JD can't play defense so he's not out there it's going to be Verdugo he Renfro, might. and he
0: might have to yeah I know I that's mean,
2: what I'm saying is like we wrong. went from having like we went from having like the best defensive outfield with some of the best outfield hitters in baseball
1: to hope for the best Brat. like offensive too that's a good point we that's that's a good point that was a great defensive outfield mookie mookie jbj and ben Attendee. and who do we got now i just, I, I guarantee those, you those three that, players were a big reason
0: why we won the world series think about ben attendee's catch against the astros exactly. jbj was the alcs the mvp LCS. and then mookie Betts was the mvp of the league that season
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and, and they're and all like, gone now and I guarantee you that there are going to be multiple times this season where someone hits a ball off the green monster and the, the outfielder who's just playing left field for the Red Sox is unable to field the ball and, yeah. like, messes it up somehow, something that Benintendi would never do, like a mistake that Benintendi would never make. And, like, it's just – it's inevitably going to happen.
1: So so we lost these guys, and what did, what did we do? Did we take What position group did we take a step forward in?
2: Not pitcher, because
1: I mean I guess pitching we is did in theory, right? Not all really because we, we lost depth. David Price. Yeah, I know. But it's still you can only have so much depth. You gotta win, man. It's
0: the stats on the paper, it's the numbers, guys. It's it's versatile guys are the most beneficial for a team. They want to get versatility or like
1: then then why a, get rid of then why
0: get rid of a guys.
2: fan favorite like Brock Holt? Like that they're so inconsistent with their values yeah. as to what they want. Like they want utility guys, but they get rid of like the heart and soul of the Red Sox organization for the past four years.
0: Like I was saying before, the fans matter. What the fans want matters. It's not just about the stats and the numbers. You need players that have like popularity in the city and on the team. It's not like Ben was just popular, he was a solid player with a lot of potential. Like 2018, he was great and he almost made the All Star game. And what really bothers me too is the the point where Ben started going downhill was when he put on all that bulk, when he started lifting and trying to build himself up. And what I've heard from reporters this offseason is he shed all of that this offseason. That's all gone, and now he's back to the good player he was in 2018. He says that he feels like his swing is back. He feels like he's in a good spot now. Like Peter Gammons tweeted out after 18 Benatendi lifted, got big, lost some of his hoops athleticism this winter. Those who have seen him say he's back to that athleticism and his natural swing could be a major piece for the retooling Royals. He knew that he sucked last year. He knew that he needed to be better and he figured out the reason why he was declining. And he changed that and got back to the player that he was when he was a top prospect with tons of potential. He's only 26 years old. It's way too early to give up on that kind of player, especially when he put in the work this offseason to get back to that kind of player with
2: potential. Especially when, they're on the con- when he's on the contract that he's on. Like,
0: yeah, it's not like he's a free agent at the end of the season. Yeah. And it's not like he's getting paid $20 million.
2: Exactly. He's, his contract's cheap. He's insured for like two or three more years. And, I mean, he, he's got the only way he can go is up.
0: He's 26 years old. Disappointing. Go ahead, Joey. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right so i i just finished listening to the uh heimbloom interview with section 10 and i still hate the trade don't get me wrong but i get where he's coming from because hold on i'm a little out of breath i'm gonna need a minute <laughs> um, yeah why is
1: that so- oh did you get cookies is that why oh there you go <laughs>
3: all right maybe i do have covid who knows um yeah, so I understand where he's coming from because he said like, um, our goal is to create a franchise that is competitive every single year, and he uh, he cited the Dodgers as an example. And the Dodgers, they have a bunch of studs, but they also have an insane farm system. So by stockpiling these prospects, he's um. <laughs> you okay? I don't know, man. I just ran up. I took the stairs.
0: You got COVID Joey over here.
3: Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've been exhausted all day. I've took two two naps. Yeah. Well, like, also, I'm going to say, I think Cordero is actually a pretty nice player. Like, he has some pop. But also, Benintendi has the capability of being, you know, like, almost a DJ LeMayhew type hitter. That's how I view him. You know, yep. he's not going to hit a bunch of home runs, but he's going to find the gaps and he's going to be a doubles
1: machine. Especially so, in Fenway. Yeah. I, I, looking at this roster, it's not, doesn't make me happy, man. It's like, not great. We don't have names. We do no. not have names right now, but he, the, starting the, Renfro, the only, is the only the we have. right fielder is a mistake in every which way. There's no way. That-
0: Renfro was never supposed to be a starter. He was always no supposed good. to be he's a fourth outfielder, not. a bench guy. And now he's. Looking like it's gonna be our our starting right fielder, starting who's gonna
2: play center. Virginia. Verdugo's gonna to move to
0: center because oh good as well, and then and then like are we, I guess we got sure. Franchi and left, or maybe Marvin Gonzalez. I don't know, but but like there is a value to having uh, name recognizable guys. Like that's the Heinblum method is bringing in no name guys you've never heard of, and they have statistical chances of breaking out. But again, like I said, I just feel like that doesn't work in Boston. Like you can trade away these players and you can win 88 games every single season for 10 seasons, but I'd rather win a hundred games for one season and win the world series. Cause right now that's what we're setting up to be is like an 80 something win team Not every single year.
1: Optimistic, optimistic.
0: Like Joey was talking oh. about how Heim bloom is trying to set it up. So we're successful consecutive years in the future. Like, sustainable for the long-term, but what does sustainable for the long-term mean? Like 80 wins every season, third place every season.
1: Oh, I just don't think these, I don't think these guys are guys that you would think are sustainable for long-term. They're guys that you would deal away to get someone that, that too, is- they're lottery tickets. I mean, you they're all, a guy they're like all- who you feel confident in as one of those sustainable, you know, kind of guys, but I-, I can't think of anyone else like is, Kike Hernandez, a guy you expect to be your guy for four years?
0: If you're talking about the future and sustainable for the future, a guy like Andrew Benatendi is the exact kind of guy you want because he's young, under team control, and has the potential to be a really good player long-term.
2: And the other thing is, this team lost, all the teams lost so much money from the pandemic. What Red Sox fans are going to want to go watch this team play?
1: Well, they're not going to let us to the stadium, so there you go. Whatever, take another year.
2: No, I, I'm. I know what you're saying, but like down the road, yeah. like Boston fans love their name values. We love our Tatum's and our Bergerons and our, you know, our, our Brady's, like our bets. That's the thing. Like we go to the games to watch those players, the players that everybody knows and cares about. I don't. I don't want to go to a game to watch Josh Benaudovich play.
0: Yeah, I mean. How many like number one selling jerseys have the Rays had?
3: Yeah, I was exactly. say the same thing. Who would buy a Franchi Cordero jersey?
0: Yeah. I mean
3: but, but what are we doing? You got every you got every single lady in Boston buying Andrew Benintendi jerseys. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's accurate. Yeah. My
2: my friends who like didn't like she doesn't care that much about baseball, but she loved Andrew Benintendi and she texted me and she was like, Why did Andrew Benintendi get traded? And I was like, I have no good logical reason for you.
0: You want to grow the game, you want to have a popular team, you want to get people in the stands. You need name guys like that, that people who don't watch baseball still know who they are because they have some kind of personality. Or, like Benny Tendy had the hair and he was still a good player, too. You need guys that people can be like, I want to watch that guy play, let's go to the stadium, or I want, a guy, I want to buy that guy's jersey. Like, that's still very important. The fans uh, are a big part of a team success like obviously the players are a big part because they're playing the game but having crowds in the stadium having fans cheering on these players and supporting them is huge like look at how last season went and look at how teams like the Celtics are doing without fans it's a struggle to play without that support and that's why the Rays really haven't had any success
2: with well, good players the, I think you know the rays they had so much success last year they cuz they're used to it they're used to not having the fans at the games they're used to the like not yeah. like the, the crazy sold out loud arenas like
1: boston players are used to like right. and we're, we're we're fenway we'll fill the people stands it's still
0: just, i mean that's true yeah we'll definitely fill the stands but still like it's just it's important to keep your fan base happy
1: it's not going to be fun to watch a team suffer through 60 to 80 wins in my opinion for the next three years, unless they actually pull a trigger after the, in the next off season. I mean, it's all, it's all based around, we have to think back. It's all based around the idea that one of these days we're going to spend again. One of these days, yeah. it'd be our time. Uh, is that ever going to happen? I don't know. I thought. they I
0: They try to explain this new it. direction that they're trying to take. And we've talked about how we perceive it, but there are so many contradictions within that. Like, they say they're trying to do one thing, but then they do something else that doesn't fit with that.
1: They take up people's contracts. They pay more to do this guy than they should. You trade away a player for someone that, I don't know. I guess they, they're consistent. They're gambling a lot, quite a few injuries, in my opinion. I mean, isn't that what rebuilding does? Because if you, if you, I know you one of them. these guys hits, woohoo! hoo you got a guy, it's just disappointing to me. I, I,
2: I feel like they're also just, at this point, degrading the players down to their stats and, like, figuring yeah. out whether or not they're they're worth their contract based on their efficiency. But Man. I feel like they're only looking at like a small sample size in terms of like maybe in Benny's case, I feel like they were only looking at like the last year. And they saw they saw Haim was like, oh, this guy batted like a hundred and fourteen games.
1: Trade him. There's two guys on this team I'm confident in going and buy a jersey of it's Bogarts and Verdugo. Well, you wait. I, Devers is up in a year, isn't he?
0: <laughs> I, at this point, the only guy I think is going to stay is Verdugo. I don't have any kind of safety in anybody else. Vasquez I mean, has Bogart's been rumors. Under- Bogarts could I'm get traded. Or- Devers could no. go in free agency. Eduardo Rodriguez is a free agent at the end of the season. Like, you don't know what the Red Sox are going to do. You don't know when this, this is going to stop. When they're going to, like, is this who the Red Sox are for the rest of Heim
2: Bloom's tenure here? Are we just a team that's going on a fire sale? Like, are we just going to give everything up?
0: Are we a small market team in what used to be a big market? Even like, from like a break it down to the most basic logic. We won 119 games in the World Series. Now the majority of that team is gone two years later. How does that make sense? Wouldn't you want
1: to keep the players that, how, that like, how you did won it with? It's a remarkable yeah. turnaround. A lot just, when you say it like that is a remarkable turnaround.
2: And it's not like we went from like 119 to like 95. Like we came back down to earth. We fell off and we fell off
3: hard.
0: Yeah. And it, it's not like we should have kept every single player. Like a lot of them made sense. Like
3: we should have gone out and got a closer.
0: I'm not saying like we should be out there signing every single free agent being go all in spend. I'm okay with staying under the luxury tax again. If you don't really think you're going to be a world series contender but you should try to be a playoff contender by making smart moves that, that keep you in it. And trading Andrew Benintendi isn't a smart move that keeps you in it. I, like I said I, before, this is what it comes down to is they want to build long-term sustainability, but long-term sustainability. All that's really going to mean is they might win 80 games for like five consecutive seasons. I don't, that's not how you should go about this. Like that's not what you're that, looking that to do. That shouldn't
2: be the goal. Right. Like I, I don't understand how he went from like one of the best hitting cores that I've seen in my lifetime on the Red Sox to what I'm looking at now.
0: Even like rotation, like think about what our rotation was in 2018. That was a great rotation with former Cy Youngs. Like we had Sale, we had
2: three Price, Cy Young winners,
0: Porcello, Eduardo Rodriguez. Before Erod was even like the ace. Like that's when he was a number four starter.
2: I feel like everything we've shipped off has not like we've got every single time we've made a trade with all these big players. I feel like every single time we've gotten lesser value than we could have gotten. I feel like every single time we've rushed into trades just because we want to get it done instead of waiting and seeing if we can get better value. It's just a sad,
0: rough time to be a Red Sox fan.
2: I feel like, Heim has no faith in like the players that were here before he got here.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was—he had a press conference earlier today where he was talking about how he feels the pain, like he feels how it's, I guess how it's emotional for the fans, like he's emotional too or whatever. But like, you didn't have to do it. There's no one holding a gun to your head saying trade Andrew Benintendi or you die. I don't think ownership's telling him to do that.
1: I I, I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I think maybe. Maybe it is
0: ownership's fault. Maybe they just don't want to spend any money and they want to, I don't know.
1: I, I, that seems like a very logical explanation to me. And in a, in a world where I, I don't know, it just seems logical that John Henry sitting there as the puppet master behind him. I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy, yeah,
2: but like, I feel like if Henry wanted someone he could control, he could have gotten a different type of GM. That's true. Like, yeah. I, I feel like getting Haim was like a statement that like he's letting Haim kind of take control. Cause that's kind of how Haim is. Like he, he, he managed, he generally manages. Um, I feel like he, <laughs> he was never really a puppeteer in Tampa Bay. And I don't think John Henry ever used any of his GMs or executives like that before. I just, I don't know.
0: I I mean, there is a chance that there's some greater picture that we're missing and maybe they it works out and they build some kind of dodgers type team that that's great for consecutive years i
1: guess it could work out i mean you have you you could in theory have a second baseman for a few years in the future it's a gamble though
0: like at
2: the same time it could
1: not work out at all you have a disaster um that's a, that's the biggest problem it's glaring in my mind and then you still you're still your pitching staff sucks and you have you're gambling on guys that have extensive injury histories or aren't that good so yeah uh, I,
0: I understand the gambles on
1: these guys who could be good or could team, not one year deals rolls, you're not going to win that many games in my you have a whole team of dice rolls maybe one of them works out maybe two of them works out it, we have like nine guys that are dice roll guys What really pushed me over the edge was
0: the Ben attendee thing. Like I talked about, cause like I was, I was optimistic before that because we were putting together pieces and filling gaps, but then you trade Andrew Ben attendee. That just threw me off on, on what I thought their vision was. Like it didn't make any sense. I thought they were like, okay, we have a pretty good team shaping up. Let's make some moves to get increasingly better and maybe have a shot at the playoffs. Then they trade away Andrew Ben attendee. And it's like, you're throwing away a piece of your future along with a piece of your right now. And you're selling him at his lowest point. What are you trying to do? It doesn't make sense, especially like I saw this tweet that was like many executives in the Red Sox organization believed in Andrew Benatendi and thought he had a real shot at breaking out this season. Then why are you trading him? Why? If you think that he can break out, if you saw that he put in the work and shed the bulk, then why are you trading him? What are, you, what are we missing here? What is the point of selling low when he has the potential of breaking out? That goes against everything they've been talking about, really, with wanting to build for the future and wanting to um, have good value guys. Like, again, Andrew Benatendi was making $6.6 6 was under team control. Like, it just goes against everything they're saying, and it doesn't make sense to me. And it's really, really frustrating for a fan, especially when it's a fan favorite like Andrew Benatendi.
2: And, like, it's not like he was a locker room issue at all. Team loved him. He was a
0: great guy. He was a great guy. There were. Great hair.
1: Disappointing. Whatever. We move on. Nobody
0: on this team has good hair. How's Franchi Cordero's hair?
1: <laughs> Bogart's <sighs> had great hair, but he cut the dreads.
0: Yeah, he cut the dreads because yeah, you know, we can't have yeah, no nice yeah. things.
1: for us. For us, aspiring long hair flow havers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I modeled my hair after Andrew Benatende. Yeah, there you go, Jason. Yeah.
0: This is going to be the roughest transition in podcast history. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a guest on the podcast today speaking um, of cool hair speaking of cool hair and cool guys and great personalities we got the new full-time ness and sideline reporter jemai webster on the podcast um, we had him on i was looking back i think episode seven he was one of our first few guests and and i mean that was a great interview then and now like we actually know what we're doing and where it's we're, this our 55th gone episode
2: up. so yeah. it was great
0: to have him back on um, and it's great to have him on now that he is the, the full-time sideline reporter. You're going to see him out there every single well, – you'll see him somewhere. I don't know if he'll be out there, but he'll be reporting for every single game. He's going to be the everyday guy now. And so you get to hear from the, the guy you're going to be seeing on your TV every Red Sox game now. So without further ado, let's jump from the bad to the good. Here's Jumai Webster. Whoosh. All right, we are joined by our first ever two-time guest, the new sideline reporter for Nessun, full-time now, Jamai Webster. Jamai, thank you for joining us today.
4: Welcome back on the show. Hey, that's right. What's up, live studio audience? What's up, fellas? <laughs> Great to be here. Great to be back.
0: First question I got to ask, what was your reaction when you first got the news that you are stepping up to full-time now? I was like, about time,
4: man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I was like, I was actually, I mean, it didn't really feel, to be honest, it didn't really feel like, you know something out of the ordinary because as you guys know like I really have been doing it since the 2017 season so now having these games added on my plate it just felt like the natural progression so I'm definitely excited super pumped to be doing it um elated for it to be my show now like no unquestioned like it's my deal right so I'm pumped about that man and I was really excited so I was like yeah let's go let's get this bad boy going Did you always
0: know that this was something you want to do? Like, did you always know that you want to be a sideline reporter?
4: Oh, man, yes, but I thought it was going to be in the NFL or college basketball or something. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that it'd be for such a historical franchise like the Boston Red Sox or in Major League Baseball, for that matter. I mean, let's keep it real, right? I didn't see anybody who looked like me doing sidelines, and I try to do this history, really. And there was only probably one person I can think of in the last 15 years, maybe a guy by the name of Telly Hughes, who used to be a sideline reporter with the Milwaukee Brewers, um, who did it previous to me. Other than that, I mean, you know, if you guys have ever talked to Tom Caron, he'll be the first to tell you he was the first regional sports network sideline reporter in the history of this position started right here at Nesson. And that's not too long ago. So this was early 2000s. Right. So since then, you look at the last 21 years, This not really I didn't really have like a a barometer or somebody to look to to be like, oh, that's what I want to do. So, yeah, this is it's all kind of coming in stride, something that has caught me by surprise. But, man, I'm walking in it now. So I'm grateful. When you found out the news, uh, what was that like? Was your phone blowing up? Were you getting
0: text messages galore? (laughs)
4: Yeah, definitely, man. If you guys remember uh, when this happened, it was on a Tuesday and Chad Finn from the Boston Globe had sent out the tweet and it was like somebody had opened the floodgates. (laughs) My phone was pinging nonstop. It was just ridiculous. And um, from there, like I'm getting calls, I'm getting texts, I'm getting, you know, Twitter uh chatter as well, Instagram, whatever, what have you, whatever social media people even going in Facebook and trying to contact me through there and just saying congratulations. Like we're, we're super excited for you and all this stuff. So, yeah, it, it kind of blew up my Tuesday, man. It was like I just woke up in the morning having some oatmeal and toast. And next thing you know, here we go. <laughs> the whole world knows my secret. <laughs> was
1: that was that tweet the first time you knew Did that open up? Uh, by- no,
4: no. I, sure? I knew previously because we had conversations. So um, I re-signed here at the network, like my contract had come to, a, to an end. So it was conversations about it. It was more so just continuing the role that I had previously. So it wasn't like you're going to be the guy. It was just like, yeah, these are going to be the tasks that you do. You're going to do some Red Sox games, this, that and the other. So I knew it was on my plate. And then once Garen left, it was just like, Whoa, I wonder who's going to be now. Nobody really formally told me like, hey, it's going to be you. It just kind of happened. And then by sheer happenstance, because obviously, you know, you lose one person, you obviously feel like you would step into that role. So it kind of just happened the way it did, basically. And um, yeah, it was it was shocking. But yeah, it it was a surprise.
0: So now that you're on the big stage every night, have you been practicing your juke move to
4: get out of the way of those Gatorade showers? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I'll have probably who knows, maybe a few months off because of the pandemic right now that we're still in. So I won't be as close to the guys, you know, when they're doing uh, great things on the field, whether it be a walk off or or whatever. I'll be, you know, socially distant away. I think we'll be doing our walk off interviews like I'll actually be in the booth or somewhere nearby when when they'll get a headset um, on the field. So I'll be away from it for a while. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back, you know, getting back close and getting back to some normalcy, as I'm sure all you guys are as well, man. This is crazy that shoot, man, it's been a whole year with this pandemic. And, you know, when it first hit, it was like, ah, you know, we'll be back to normal in a month or so. And here we are where it feels like we're just starting to maybe see some light at the end of the tunnel.
0: How different has your job been because of the pandemic? What's it like doing interviews on Zoom versus in person down on the field?
4: Yeah, man, it's it, it's honestly a struggle for me, especially because I feed off like that interaction, right? The energy of person to person, like you can, really feel somebody's vibe, you know, what they're thinking, you know, whether it's just a subtle facial expression or whatever, you know, something you can follow up on and, and and utilize in your interview to give people more insight. Cause that's the whole point of, especially this fan base, like you want to know something, you want to get some information that isn't just readily available through Google or something. Right. So I try to, to bring that to the broadcast. I try to bring that to the, to, to my reports. And to not have that interaction, it's going to be tough. And it has been because last season, the 60 game Corona ball season, as I like to call it, um, you know, I just my only contribution to the broadcast, like I would, I would get a player every week and I would do a Zoom call like this. So I remember the first week of the season, I got Alex Verdugo and he was um, at his condo that he just had rented in Dorchester, ironically enough. So he had walked out to his patio, and we were doing the conversation and everything, and that was like literally, I'm meeting him on Zoom, and like, hey, what's up, man? And have a great year, like, hey, you know, it's just kind of awkward because this is where we are, I guess, at this point. But you know, it was still an opportunity to have a conversation, to get some face time, so to speak, with people and with somebody, and to. You know, I mean, it is virtual, but it's still you're meeting them and you're talking to them. So you can't kind of build that rapport. So you kind of have to look at it that way. But there was some uh there was some rocky roads along the way. There was another time I think I even I even posted it on Instagram, actually. Uh, post game conversation with uh it was a post game. I forget what the significance of it was, but J.D. Martinez was um in the interview. So I hopped on. And I'm I'm having trouble with my computer and then I'm grabbing my phone because I couldn't log on. And I'm like, I'm going to miss him, you know. So the technological hurdles are ridiculous at times. But anyways, I have my phone in my hand. I got the computer and apparently the computer was going and I had my phone. I didn't realize that was going. So like I'm fumbling <laughs> into the press conference and like he's watching this because he's at the the press conference room at Fenway Park. And he sees all the monitor of all the press. and. He's laughing and I'm like, this dude is laughing at me, isn't he? You know, thinking in my (laughs) head and he's dying laughing, almost can barely contain himself. And he's like, man, Jamai struggling. And then I hear that and I'm like, oh, man, he's got me. So I'm trying to like log off. And actually, I remember getting a text. Garen sent me a text, actually. She was like, turn your, you know, mute your audio. (laughs) And then PR actually text me like, dude, what is going on? So I was like, all right, guys, give me a second. I'm going gonna get this together. Uh, But it was just like, dude, it was ridiculous. So we had some fun with it afterwards. And um, it it was a light moment, but it was certainly embarrassing at the time because you don't know how it's going to play out. People are like, dude, I'm ready to get out of here. This dude is messing around on Zoom. So (laughs) those those troubles kind of uh, they 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 feel like that was more often than not going through the new process of really getting used to this type of technology. But um, yeah, man, it's a struggle, but I'm trying to utilize it the best way I can to to really help me this year, because this is this is how we're going to do things. You know, we're not going to be traveling on the road, at least at this point. So this is my way of connecting with the guys. And, you know, maybe I'll send text and be like, hey, what are you thinking here? Or, you know, follow up through conversations. After the game to try to get some insight to be able to bring something to the broadcast, because, you know, that's that's still the job that I have. That's still what everybody is hoping that that I'm able to do. So it'll be a challenge. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. What kind of research do you do before a
0: game or before an interview?
4: A lot usually, you know, I try to go in over prepared, you know, I try to know everything about every individual and especially nowadays, you think about social media and like, I got to follow all these guys on Instagram and Twitter because I want to know about their personal lives too. Because sometimes I might watch something that, that that you know brings an idea, makes the light bulb go off in my head that can be totally unrelated or can be a situation where now we can connect on this. And, you know, now it's like, we're we're, we're like equals, if that makes sense, right? Like we're connecting just on a human le- level, which I try to do as well, because I don't just want it to be like, you know, all professional, meaning it's just like all buttoned up and I'm only here for a job. Like, I actually want to get to know these guys um, and bring those stories out that maybe they're not given to the public. So. I try to look at things that are going down on their social media and then obviously I use help from newspaper clippings, things like that. Um, The Red Sox public relations, public relations staff is great um, with giving insight into things that are happening. If guys are on a hitting streak or if guys are facing this milestone in their career, whatever the case may be. So I'm always looking in the the game notes, Um, always looking afterwards. They also have a Twitter account where they put out great information. So, I mean, baseball is such a sport where literally you can find out anything. You can be like, what is this dude hitting when it's 60 degrees out and the sun is getting ready to, you know, go down. So I feel like there's a million stats. The Sabre metrics are off the charts at this point. So um, anything is at your fingertips, you know, and and, um, I try to get it all. Um, What
1: would you recommend to kids like us? Because I know a lot of listeners of our podcast are in the same shoes. We look up to guys like you. And what would you recommend for strategy-wise, talking to people, um,
4: you know, people who want to do what you do someday? Yeah, man, great question. You know, now I feel old because I'm like, people looking (laughs) up to me, that's crazy. But- uh, True, man, it's true. (laughs) No, for sure. I mean, I just kind of had this conversation too with uh, some Red Sox Foundation scholars asking me exactly the same questions. And for me, it's just like, you want to do this, then, then stay firm in that goal. You know, you want to achieve it, go after it. Um, get with people that are doing it. Get an example of what it looks like to do it at a high level and talk to those people. Really just network, create relationships, people who can help you get a leg into the door, whether it's, you know, with an internship or an opportunity to shadow you or whatever the case may be. Every bit of knowledge that you acquire in trying to achieve that goal. It's gonna help you get there in the end. And then just always remember, you know, have that self belief, you know, um, have that belief within yourself that I can achieve this, I can do this and trust the process. It's crazy because it's like something that kind of wow. got famous by, you know, the 76ers a couple years back, Joel Embiid, trust the process, but you just look into such a simple phrase. And so many people wanna get from A to Z just so fast but there's steps in between you know there's life lessons that are learned there's opportunities where you make mistakes you know and you learn from that nothing is a failure you know it's all part of getting you towards your end goal and you have to just trust that process and getting there like I could have came in here in 2016 when I came to Ness and been like yeah I want to be the Red Sox Island reporter put me on TV right now but that wasn't the path for me you know I, I was the 1A so to speak you know the backup the guy who's filling in a few games here a few games there. And then. Um, I think it was a 20, it was 2017 season. Garrett got some injuries. She went down, she got in a car accident. So I did a, a host of games like so many, I can't even really recall, but that was giving me the experience that have, has led me to this point. I feel like, you know, if I was in a situation where I was coming in brand new and I was just stepping into this role. Now it would feel a little bit overwhelming, but I'd have, I've had a taste of it and I know what to expect. And now I just got to go through it. So, I'd say trust the process of what you're doing and live in that, you know, don't try to skip to the future so fast, just enjoy the moments that you're in because they get greater and you appreciate them much more when you achieve a goal like this.
0: So athletes watch film all the time to get better and critique themselves. Do you watch Mm -hmm. film as a reporter to get better at reporting?
4: Jason, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that (laughs) because it is honestly, you know, and you, you asked me earlier, Garrett, about, you know, advice. I'd say if you want to be a television reporter, this is probably the most important thing that you need to do. People don't watch themselves enough. It is critical because you learn so much about yourself, about your delivery, about your presentation, about everything that you do on camera from watching yourself. And it can be awkward and it can be excruciating and painstaking at times. I had to go through the same thing, but I always watch myself. I don't think enough, and that's, that's the, the advice that I would give to the younger millennials. You know, I feel like I fall into that category too at my age, but there's like a, a subsection of kids like you guys, like yourself, still in college, going through, through, um, through chasing your career path. I would say, you don't, people don't watch enough TV, man. Honestly, you need to watch television to see what people are doing. Like, how can you go into television, but you don't have cable? I know it's expensive, but you have to find a way to get your eyes on things that you want to emulate, that you want to be one day. So I would say definitely watch yourself. If you're a young journalist out there trying to um, get on television and be in this business one day and be a sideline reporter or be an analyst or excuse me, be a a host or or an anchor, you got to watch yourself. So get those reps. And if you don't have an opportunity to say, get on TV or you're not in a class where you're doing television production, then talk to yourself in the mirror. Literally, it's it's like the awkwardest thing. One of my uh, mentors told me, John Ireland. He used to be um, a sports anchor in Los Angeles. Now he's on the radio there and he's the radio voice of the Lakers. Um, But he told me, yeah, watch yourself in the mirror, like just talk to yourself as if you're doing a report. That's literally how you look on television. That's how you sound. That's how you come off. Record your voice. Listen to it. Listen to how it sounds. Listen to the cadence that you are, you know, doing your reports in. Because a lot of times, especially when I was young and coming into the business, I used to talk a mile a minute. Like I used to be so fast and excited. So I had to tell myself to slow down. Like if it sounds really slow in my ear, that's probably the pace that I need to be at when I'm doing a report. So those things have been critiques that I've been given and I've utilized But yeah, you just got to watch yourself. It's really important. Just like you said, when you're watching when athletes go back and watch the tape, they're like, hey, how could I have done this play better? We just got off a a Super Bowl where Tom Brady was at his house by himself for 12 days watching film. So that's how he was able to improve. And I think that's important and probably one of the more underutilized things about being in the TV business, because you think if you're on TV, you're doing it, it's done. But no, you got to go back and watch your shows, watch your reports, watch everything.
0: Take us through like the 30 seconds right before you're about to go live on air with like a stand up from the sidelines. What's going through your mind there?
4: (laughs) Don't mess up. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thought, because honestly, so much is going through your mind, like especially in a so that's another thing. That's that's the element, the surprise element of, of live television when you're doing these games. Right. Situations happen that you cannot forecast. The producer can be like, okay, we're coming to you next after this first pitch. But then there's a home run hit. So then you're delayed a second more, you know, and the guys are talking about it, talking about, oh, J.D. just hit a home run over the Green Monster, went 600 feet, yada, 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 whatever they're talking about. So it's like, okay, does my report now fit with what's being said? Because I don't just want to hop in and be, you know, talking about the pitchers when something like that has happened. Right. I want to be. Kind of continuing the conversation right and that's the way I look at my job because it's like all right so three people are having a conversation about the color orange and now I'm just going to interject and talk about purple no that's not what you want to do you want to kind of stay on the path so I'm hoping that whatever I'm talking about still fits the narrative of what's being discussed and then I'm also hoping you know that that they get to me but there's that element where again anything can happen and it can change the course of the conversation or it can make you, you know, go in a different direction. So, usually, I'm, 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 I'm thinking like, okay, here's my chance. This is what I want to say. I write down a few notes. And with me, I never really just write down verbatim of what I want to say. I give myself bullet points. So, for example, let's say it's Xander Bogarts. Um, we're talking about um, the fact that he's been so good at the plate, or something like that. So I'd say, you know, bogey, ten game hitting streak. Betting 300 during this stretch um and then i'd have a note for say tim hires was like yeah he's doing this because he's patient at the plate or he's he's taking more pitches whatever I, I i try to throw in an element um from one of the experts so i would just write down these three things and then i let my mind formulate just like i'm talking to you guys i come up with the ideas in my head as i'm going along i guess that's probably one of the um Things in television that you get better with time because, you know, certainly early on in my career, I couldn't do that and try to have conversations as I'm trying to talk and explain something. And then I got the producer in my ear talking to me. So there's a lot that goes on in the TV broadcast behind the scenes. But that's something that I try to do um, in those reports and, and try to um, get my thoughts out and make them sound clear and concise and easily digestible. So those are probably the things going through my mind 30 seconds before they're about to come hit me and, and me provide a report on the air. But it's also, you know, adrenaline and, and you're feeling the rush, especially when there's crowds there, um, even, even when, the, when it's not actually, because you know that it's live. You know that you get one shot at this. So there's that pressure that really, a lot of people, I think myself, I thrive off of that. Um, and that, that helps me remain hyper-focused on what I need to do and really enhances, um, I guess, my my mental aspect of the game as well.
1: What's it like when something does not go exactly as planned? Were you always someone who could roll with things or, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
4: I think so. I think I've always been able to roll with the punches, but at times when you mess up or like you're stumbling, or like you stutter and you can't get a word out, it feels like the whole world is crumbling down. It feels like the whole world is coming to a close and everybody's looking at you and pointing like you, you, you. That's what it feels like. But it, 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 that's another thing that I learned, I guess, in my career as well. You know, cause if you mess up, you keep going. And then when you go back and watch it, as we've been discussing, you watch the tape, you watch your hits, you watch the reps that you've been taking. It's never as bad as you thought it was. It never really is as bad as you thought it was. I mean, there's been some epic mess ups. It really never is as bad as you thought it was. So um, in that moment, it feels like, oh, I just messed up, man. I want to be better. Um, but you get to practice the next day. And now, especially this season, baseball is every day, man. I can, if I have a bad day, I come back the next day and try to be great. So um, it's the same way the guys approach the game as well. You know, trusting that process and following through with it and you know, putting in the work, really.
3: So is there like a back and forth between you and the producer? So if there's like something you want to say, would you talk to them and you know say like, I have this nugget, you know, can I like tell everyone or do they come to you and they're like, you have 30 seconds. Come up with something.
4: (laughs) No, that would be (laughs) that would be tough if they did the latter for sure. It's definitely a constant conversation. You're in constant communication with the producer. Like you may come into a game where you're like, hey. I got these four things that I, that I'd like to get into the, to the broadcast. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll try to get it in at this point, at this point. So you're constantly talking. And if something comes up, like, for example, I use Xander earlier, like say he is on this great streak. He's, you know, he's on a 14 game hitting streak. Um, His next hit, it can be 15. Say that I talked to him pregame and he talked about his process, about how he's been in such a good, good, good groove. So the next time he's up to bat, I might say, Hey, I got that Xander story here. I like to get it in. They're like, okay, cool. After the first pitch, boom, first pitch happens. I get it in. Hopefully he continues to streak and I don't jinx him, but that's kind of how it works. It's it's a constant communication with the producer. They try to put you in a position where you can also be successful. They don't want to really surprise you with anything and and they don't go to you just kind of off the cuff, unless it's something where maybe there's an injury on the field or something happens that you only have the vantage point of. I remember... This must have been two seasons ago. Um, it was a Sunday, I believe, one o'clock game. Eduardo Rodriguez was pitching. It's when he had that collision on collision on first base. Mm-hmm. He ran into – I think they were playing Toronto. If, I, if my memory serves me correct, I have to go back and look because I'll become obsessive over it if I don't get this right. But um, he ran into the runner and, like, tried to avoid him and, like, bust his knee. So he was, like – Basically, it, it was looking like it could be a season ender or something more serious. And I had this right in my view, like I was literally right there. Saw it. So when they when they were talking about it, I was like to the producer. Yeah. I, you know, I had a great vantage point in this because they were guessing basically what they thought it could be like. It was a twisted ankle or whatever. I was like, no, it's his knee. He jammed it up, you know, so I was able to provide that um to the broadcast because that was something that only I saw because I had the vantage point. So. Just being that fourth voice in the broadcast, you know, you can add elements like that to make it make it that much better. I mean, you mentioned you're the fourth voice. What's it like working with
0: guys like Dennis Eckersley and Jerry Remy, Dave O'Brien, these broadcasting and baseball legends?
4: Man, it's amazing. Honestly, these are true Hall of Famers in every sense of the word. And I mean, with Eck, he's a literal baseball Hall of Famer. (laughs) So, I mean, the guy is it's incredible, man. It's honestly a dream. I have to really pinch myself because I know his athletic accomplishments. I know what he was able to do with the baseball throughout his career with various teams that he's with. So to be able to be working with these guys every day and get their baseball knowledge, especially, I mean, OB was calling World Series when he was like in his twenties. It's ridiculous. You know, he's like one of those guys who has been in broadcasting forever. So especially him, you know, able to pick his brain on different things that go on or or how I should approach things it's been an unbelievable asset and then the rim dog he's just great man he's he's got so many stories because he's so entrenched in Red Sox nation and this organization and what it has going on so all three of these guys have been an asset throughout my career and I just enjoy working with them too like we have a good time so you know I don't want it to ever feel like working with these guys it doesn't And we're getting paid to, you know, call games and, you know, give insight into Red Sox broadcasts. It's really one of the best jobs you can ever ask for.
0: What kind of um, behind the scenes access do you get with the team when you're traveling with them? Like, are you on the plane with the players? You get to see how they interact with each other. What kind of behind behind the scenes stories or insights do you have from that?
4: Yeah, so during regular times, yeah, I'm on the team charter flight. I'm flying with them. I'm staying in their hotels as well. Um, basically, a lot of times, I mean, you go on the road and they think that I'm a player. Like I'm walking into the <laughs> hotel, people try to get my autograph right at the uh, you know entrance of the hotel or on the sidewalk. I remember that was the case in Philadelphia. Um, we were there a couple seasons ago, and you just walk out and like all eyes are on you, and there's people standing out there trying to get a glimpse of Mookie Betts at the time or or whoever, and they think that I, I'm one of the the ball players because I still, you know fit that 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 um that age group and you know I look at I guess athletically um not to toot my own horn <laughs> <laughs> Say that. but uh but yeah so basically you know you're like one of them it really is like being in the major leagues and for me it was one of those things where when I was like I want to pursue a career and you know broadcasting a career in sports this was kind of one of the goals of mine i was like if i can't make it to the big leagues if i can't make it to the nba if i can't make it to the nfl i want to be as close as these sports up closest to it as possible if if i'm not going to be one of them right so i think this was my avenue in and, and, and it really does the first time i remember i was on the charter i just had to, i was like looking around taking it in like this is crazy <laughs> this is crazy um to be on there and to be flying with these guys it was amazing but you know you got to like they say in the big leagues, right? Your first home run or whatever, any home run, act like you've been there before. So you you got to fake it a little bit, but uh, you certainly are feeling like this is the life. This is pretty cool.
0: What goes into picking your suit before a game? Is that a game time decision? Are you laying it out the <laughs> night before? You have the whole week planned out. What's that like?
4: Man, I'm gonna have to start planning out the whole week now that I'm doing this thing <laughs> every day. But usually, it's. Like I, I have an idea, like I look towards it, I'm like, OK, I try not to wear the same color back to back, but I have so much blue, which I was just looking in my closet the other day. I was like, man, I got way too many blue suits or variations of blue. But I mean, if you're not wearing blue, what are you wearing? Either black or gray. Right. I mean, it's not really many colors outside of that. That's going to make you look not like, a you know, Easter Bunny or something crazy. <laughs> so I was like, usually I look at my suits and I'm like, OK, I'm going to wear this today that tomorrow. It's the next day. So I do it in series. But now because I'm doing it every day, I really have to start switching up the shirts and ties and the variation so it won't look like I'm wearing the same thing all the time. But um, you know, in the past when I was doing it, I would just do it. I mean, it depends actually. If it was a home series, I really wouldn't care until like an hour before I needed to get dressed. I'd be like, what am I wearing today? But if I'm going on the road, you obviously have to plan ahead. So I would pack all my suits and that make it easier because I know which I, what I was wearing each and every day. Um, but yeah, home games. I'm just like, ah, what do I feel like wearing today? I <laughs> just look in the closet and I pull it out. I got so many suits. It's crazy. I probably got a month. I could wear a suit every day for like two months. It's that <laughs> ridiculous. Um, way too many suits for my liking, you know, because we've had great partnerships with, um, so many great, um, organizations like Eastern Clothing and Watertown. Joseph Abu was a sponsor for our, our clothes. So it's, it's wild, man. How many suits I have really, um, that that I can wear. But yeah, I just usually pick it out day day of whatever I'm feeling like, you know, I try to whatever I'm feeling. I'm like, okay, let's let's match it
0: when you're on the road or even if you're at Fenway, uh, sometimes you do reports live from the stands out with the fans. So what's that like being out there with the fans? Like, do you ever get people trying to get on the broadcast or telling you what to say?
4: Oh, man, (laughs) everybody's a critic at that point. It's like, dude, people don't realize you know, I'm trying to do a job here, right? Like you're trying to do a broadcast. Like people are at home watching TV and people are always messing with you and stuff. Um, I have some fun with it. But yeah, you always have somebody who's coming up to you and, and wanting to ask you something. Hey, is this going to be on TV? Like, no, dude, <laughs> I only have a microphone right here. And my cameraman standing right here is not going to be on TV. <laughs> um, So you get a lot of stupid questions, so to speak. Um, But people have fun with it. And, um, you know like a lot of times there was a period, it was 19, 2019, where we had this sponsored uh, report where we had to go out to the bullpen. So we're way out there in like right center field, standing there, you know, in the the grandstand seats back there. And um, I would have to do this every game because we're getting like, people are paying for this. Like it was BioFreeze paying for this hit, you know, in the game. So it'd have to be on one of the guys in the bullpen. So every day I'd have to come up with something when I'm doing a home series. So I do that reporting, man, it'd be times where I'd just be sitting there and I'm like, get me out of here some some of the drunk Friday and Saturday nights, especially, you know, the one o'clock games on Sundays aren't as bad. But uh, some of those Friday night games like, dude, this is crazy. Get me out of here. People trying to talk to you and wave in the back and, you know, get on camera <laughs> as much as they can. So, you know, just have a little more grace for your, you know, daily sideline reporter, please. <laughs> As a, yeah. as a fan, those, uh, those right field grandstands
1: were the place to be. But I can definitely understand why it would be a little annoying if you're trying to do a job there. I get that. Yeah,
4: exactly. It's like, dude, it's it's a, you know, it's a job hazard. It's like the baseballs. You got to look out for those screamers as well. So it's one of those things that, you know, you take the good with the good, you take the bad with the bad.
0: <laughs> Have you ever asked a player, like I remember Dustin Majorian in an interview, he was asked some question. He was just like, bro, can I just go home? I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever asked a player a question? He's like, dude, what are you even saying to me right now?
4: (laughs) Yes, kind of. And that player was Rick Porcello. This was like (laughs) 2018 and Rick is such, he's such a great dude, man. I honestly like he's one of the favorite, one of my favorite baseball players that I've had the pleasure of covering because he challenged me in ways like that. Right. He would not let you get by with asking something stupid. Like you had to really be thoughtful. You can't just be like, okay, this is going to be a softball. Just give me whatever. Right. With Rick, he listened to the question. So you always had to be like asking something that you really wanted to know or it just sounds stupid. So I remember one time early on too in the process, I asked something that was just like, uh, so, you know, how about that uh, double play or something stupid, right? I mean, that's probably wasn't what it was, but he was just looking at me like, what? What are you talking about? And he just like asked me again, what are you, what are you saying? And I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, thinking in my head, but I came up with something uh, right then and there, but it was just like, It was like, okay, I got to bring my A game with this guy. I can't be, you know, coming over here with no nonsense. But uh, yeah, he was that guy who who really was thoughtful in his answers. So he expected you to also be professional in your question asking.
0: So the Red Sox added some very energetic guys like you got Kike Hernandez on the team. Now, Alex Verdugo came last year. What's it like interviewing guys like that? And are you excited to interview guys like Kike Hernandez?
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Doogie. I loved when he came here last year. Kike, I have not interviewed him yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to it because of the type of personality that he was with the Dodgers organization and what he brought to that club. Like, I've been a fan of his for quite a long time, actually. Um, from the West Coast, from L.A., you guys know it, no secret. Obviously, that was my team growing up. So I, I kept an, an eye on what the Dodgers were doing. So I was following Doogie's career when he was with the Dodgers coming up as a prospect. Like, this dude is amazing. Um, So I was happy when the Red Sox got him. Sad for the Dodgers, but it seemed to work out okay for them uh, this past year. But yeah, Kike is going to be an amazing player. And he's going to have the opportunity, it looks like at least, from what he's been told, from what we've been hearing from Alex Cora and folks inside the organization, that he's going to have an opportunity to be playing every day. That's really a role. He was more so like a platoon player when he was with the Dodgers and really um, had so much stars, right? So he was trying to find his place on the field. Um, I think he has another level to achieve um, if he gets on the field every day. And and, um, I think he's going to thrive here with the Red Sox. So I'm looking forward to having interactions with him and talking to him because he's like a real dude. You know, he's a guy who he's pretty consistent all the time, it seems, at least on the outside looking in. So you you enjoy that. You like guys who, who are consistent with how they interact with you, whether they're having a good time or a bad time or they're struggling or they're doing well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you'll have plenty of stories uh, with Kike Hernandez, whether he's wearing a banana costume again in the dugout or yeah, something like that. That's
4: right. We're hoping he brings the, must- the mustache back too. He says maybe not, but oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That was a, a big topic as well.
3: So, um, what's spring training going to look like this year with Nesson? Are you guys going to travel down or are you going to continue the remote? broadcasts
4: yeah so that's gonna be tough man I'm really bummed because I enjoy going to Fort Myers so much it 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 really is kind of for me that indicator that spring is on the way but this year yeah we're not heading down um we're gonna do about 12 10 12 games I believe in spring training gonna be done remotely in the studio like this and then the regular season will start so um at right right now from everything that I've been told there's no plans for me to go down, but you know, things change, situations fluid. Um, that could change, but right now I don't anticipate I'll be going down there and spring training, I think we'll be broadcasting about 10, 12 games and um, kind of getting ready for the regular season that way. Um, you know, This pandemic has changed everything. I mean, it's, it's, had, its, its, its you know, had its moments where it's brought great opportunities for innovation But it's also things that suck that you that you enjoy, like going to spring training and being around people, being at a live sporting event and enjoying it that way. So um, you just got to take the good with the good, bad with the bad, I guess. But yeah, Zoom. I mean, this is great. Right. Like we would be able to get together. Otherwise, you're able to have a show like this and do awesome things. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where um, the technology right now has made it possible where we don't have to go down there. And it's a money saver. This still is business, you know, Nessun is in the, in the, in the, the, the business of making money just like the Red Sox and everyone else. So um, right now everybody's looking for ways they can save.
0: (laughs) All right. Last thing I want to ask you, what's Jemai Webster having for
4: breakfast on game day? (laughs) Classic man, my classic oatmeal and toast. I keep it simple, pretty bland. I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to breakfast because especially because you know, I'm I'm like just nervous or not nervous per se, but just like anxious, looking forward to the games, looking forward to, you know, going out there and working. So I try not to eat too much after the game, though. I'm starving. I'll eat whatever I can, whatever is in sight, really. But I just have a classic breakfast, man. Try to keep it light. You know, nothing too heavy to keep me sluggish or anything, um, especially, you know, when the schedule starts changing because you go from like Friday night, seven o'clock game and then then you have a Saturday four o'clock, and then Sunday you're playing at one. So it seems like the time is getting lesser and lesser. So your sleep is really thrown off. So you you want to be able to to have something where you know you can still move about the way you need. But yeah, I keep it light. I keep it classic. Maybe some cereal. Maybe eggs and toast if I'm feeling sexy. But other than that, man, I keep it light. <laughs> yeah, there you hey, go. I, wrote, I like that. <laughs> I wrote this down like five minutes
1: into the interview. Uh, what's what's your dunk's order? What do you got?
4: Oh man, oh man, here we go. <laughs> this is about to be classic. They're gonna call this Jemai Webster pretty soon. Dunks can after this. But no, this is just uh regular medium original blend, iced coffee, man, with hazelnut swirl and three sugars and almond milk. You gotta have the almond go. milk. There you go. Hey, hey Sparkle
1: opportunity, maybe. We'll we'll put that out there for you.
4: <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, thank you for joining us again, Jamai. Good luck this season. Congrats on the new gig.
4: Excited to see you out there every game now. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate you guys support. You've been rocking with me since day one, so it's all love, man. I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jermai. All right, you guys, take it easy.
3: All right, glad you enjoyed the interview. We're back, and we're here (laughs) to talk about my boy, the sawman. Sawamora. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um before
0: we get to him, though, that was a great interview with Jemai Webster. Big, uh, big thanks to Jemai for coming on the podcast. If you're an aspiring baseball journalist or anything like that, that was a great interview for you. He he had a lot of good tips and pointers. Um, and one of the biggest things that I took away from that is watch yourself. That's what the athletes do to get better. They watch film. Look at JD Martinez. I I like I asked him that question because I legitimately didn't know if that's something they did or not and it, it was cool to hear that that is something they do and that that's a big part of how they get better so um it was a great overall interview with Jemai. um love having him on and i'm excited to see him out there every single game now
1: I know i know a lot of our audi- audience are people interested in that interested in sports careers young guys like us um and Stuff like that is extremely helpful. You saw the, uh, if you go back and listen to that first interview, you will see wild improvements in the production quality of <laughs> this podcast. That's as right. Well. That's right. So, yeah, it's, I think it's really good and helpful in that way.
0: Um, if you want to see some of the video from that, I will be posting a um, highlight video on our YouTube in the dugout podcast on YouTube. Um, didn't do that yet, but it will happen at some point and it will be up there. I also be posting clips on our Instagram dugout podcast, um, so be on the lookout for those. And uh, as we just mentioned, uh, the Red Sox made some moves and we got, we got our guy.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Joey got his guy. Joey got I his got guy. guy. <laughs> yep.
3: It's really unfortunate that I've been short of breath this episode because I could talk about my boy Hirokazu Salomura for forever. I mean, you're looking at a guy who t- his fastball tops out 96 to 99 and he has a splitter that is just, absolutely nasty i i i um i went to depths of the internet that are not in english to watch some of his highlights and i mean that's that splits nice it's legit i think i think um you know he's probably not going to be koji because you never know i mean no 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 i mean i i am the number one koji fan everyone knows this I hold Koji on a pedestal higher than like anyone, but I feel like he could be a very nice Okajima type player. Someone who, you know, like he's going to be nails out of the bullpen. Real nice setup, man. Looking forward to it.
0: I mean, this guy was definitely on on Joey's radar, as you can tell, Mm -hmm. Um, but he wasn't really on mine. Like I saw the rumor. I was like, okay, I don't really know anything about this guy. I didn't really pay any attention to it. Then when we signed him, I was looking at who he is and, posted a 296 era and a 118 whip in his career in japan and had like a one point something era last season after a trade and i watched some film of him pitching and this dude is nasty he's got that fastball that joey talked about that can hit like 98 99 and then he's got the nasty splitter and i think he could actually be like a a legit piece of this bullpen if everything works out he seems like he could be pretty good and if he's not it's just a two-year deal with 2.5 million so,
2: that's the one thing I'll give I'll give the Red Sox credit for. You know, we're signing guys for short terms for not a lot of money. Yeah, they know? give us
0: a small little move to be happy with, and I rip our hearts out. Um, but <laughs> here's here's a small little move to be happy. Yeah, I like him, and
2: he be, is the future. Be, no downsides, really. I mean, sure, he is the future.
0: He's 32 years old, but he's the future. Did
3: you see on the Japanese newspapers they treated no. him like? <laughs> Oh, dude, he was, I he was on the front. He was on the front. He was on the front page no. of all these Japanese newspapers. <laughs> like, it's like Hirokazu goes to America or whatever. It, like they treated him like it was LeBron James. Like this Maybe was the, he's the LeBron
0: James of Japanese baseball. Uh, he, he's the
3: LeBron James of Japanese baseball bullpen pitchers, who are
0: right-handed and throw splitters at age thirty-two. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but we love having him here. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, I love splitters. It's one of my favorite pitches. Me too. You throw one. Can you one? I could not throw a splitter. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't. I really I understand it. You can just kind of like split heart, your heart. fingers. I, yeah, it hurts. I, can do that. I,
1: I can't even throw a curveball. But I remember in little league, long time ago, first time I ever learned how to throw a curveball, first year in the big diamond, I struck Joey out with one. I don't know if it curved. That wasn't hard to do, to it. be fair. Yeah, it may not it's have not curved, made. but Joey did strike out because of a, me attempting throw curveball. So yeah, yeah, I, I saw
3: this pitch I'd never seen before. It oh yeah,
1: was,
3: yeah, I was expecting curveball, and then this slop <laughs> just comes in, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I I, I was I was so I was so taken aback by it. I was I just watched it go past <laughs> Yeah, it was he
1: like high quality pitch, but it got it painted that inside corner, and I—I I don't know if you swung or not. I don't really remember. I just remember you being disappointed. Nah,
3: I—I I bet, I bet, I bet you paid off Bob Swan before the game.
1: Bro, Bob Swan hated me. He ripped me from beating Jason's ass in the championship. you, you game know game what? Crook low could have been the could have been the umpire for that game. Shout out, Crook. It's definitely a possibility. Uh, Crook probably would have but... understood how you can slide a left hand under the catcher before the ball hits the back of your, you know it's your back but yeah but the thing is you have to touch the plate buff. before the ball touches you in this yeah, ball, and yeah and you didn't do that Kirk probably so. Kirk probably understands that when you do a head first live it's not your head that's touching the plate you can you know reach your arm out and when you have a six foot mm-hmm. tall person you kind of can reach and touch the plate and that's kind of what i did but apparently you are just biased and wrong so well whatever. you know what need rehash, bro i didn't mean to rehash but well you
0: know cool. what SeatGeek is the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price so you know you're getting the best deal. And they provide a view from your seat so you can get the perfect seats to any event. Plus, you can get twenty dollars off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using the promo code dugout.
3: D-U-G- the out was dug.
0: In case you know how to spell that. Um Marwin Gonzalez is a new member of the Boston Red Sox. That's true. Um, it's I, a
2: cheap contract.
0: Yeah, you got a uh, one year for three million. That's a pretty solid value for a a decent player who can play all over the diamond. You got another versatile guy. You Can play third base, right field, left field, second base, first base, shortstop. Um, you could see him. You probably see him in the outfield because our infield's pretty set. He could play some games at first base since he's a, a lefty. Isn't he a switch hitter? Yeah. Yeah. So, but he can bat lefty against righties if you want to give Dahlbeck a day off against a righty. Um, he, uh, versatility is great and it's a good value deal. Um, I don't, I'm not really a fan of him as a no, person because he was on me, the Astros. Never um, But he
3: plays baseball. So, he, he does. <laughs> he does do that.
0: Yeah. Um, I posted on my story, um, I refer to him as Margo.
2: Thoughts on that?
0: marwin gonzalez margo i don't know i went to
2: middle school with a margo kind of weird
0: i got some backlash for that um shout out everything boston sports he says yeah that's not a thing for a reason and i said hey i like it and he says congratulations no one agrees with you
3: so (laughs) well well, (laughs) wow that's
1: mean well rude but i i Uh, wish his
3: name uh, was marvin that would be better i would just like for his name to be marvin
0: uh yeah so, get out there and buy your uh, Gonzalez jerseys out there. Or reuse your Adrian, reuse Gonzalez, your Adrian ones. <laughs>
3: Gonzalez ones. Yeah.
0: Um, I really don't have any opinion on him. Like, I, don't, I didn't even bother to look up his stats. Like, I was like, okay, cool. He's fine. Sure. All right.
3: That. We're cool. Cool. Yep. Nice. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, great. That is someone, and we actually know their name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, um, all right. Cool. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. Oh, uh, just a public service announcement for all those owners of Benintendi jerseys. Uh, they Sorry. are now Franchi Cordero jerseys because Franchi, French Fry took his number. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He originally took JBJs, but I guess he actually takes Benintendi's, which kind of stings. I hate when a player leaves and the new player immediately takes their number. Yeah, kind of a, kind I mean, of a, at least a he didn't take
3: 15. You,
1: Good way you, to get he, hated right away. <laughs> yeah. JBJ's is when he's not formally gone yet.
3: Um, I think he wore 19 with the Royals. I could be wrong. So, that's so they just, what is, but, I th- that's, like, what, that's what uh, Chris Cattillo of the Mexican Times said.
1: Who do you walk in understanding that there's a free agent that just left the team the year before and say, I'm going to take this guy's number, even though we don't know if he's coming back?
3: I don't
0: think he did. I think it was just given to him because that's what his number was. Oh, okay,
1: I got
3: you. And that's why he's 16 like, now. Like Verdugo he took Holt's number. Originally, yeah. Originally. For but... some reason, switched to 99. But I I, I like Sox, it, though. I think the Challenger Red Sox gave him Brock's number, though.
0: Shout out Brock for signing with the Rangers yeah, to was a minor that. league deal.
3: Yeah, good for him. Um, hope to see him. Just hope to see him. <laughs> you know? in general, yeah. <laughs> yeah, generally. Um,
0: real quick, uh, how do we feel about... Um, Franchi Cordero's nicknames. What are we thinking? Like French fry,
3: French dressing, uh, like France franchise.
1: Dressing. That's funny. Franchise. The yeah. franchise. Oh yeah,
2: he's he's the franchise. Yeah. For sure. Big time. Um, <laughs> Going to carry us. Core,
0: Darrow. Like he's the core of our team.
2: Oh, oh, I like yeah. franchise core. Yeah.
0: Putting the, putting the whole team on his back, Franchi. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wabat Abadzuki. Oh yeah, we got J- Josh um Talk about da, Stephanie? Stephanie? No, 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 no.
2: Stephanie. <laughs> um
0: <laughs> this guy's kind of funny. That's that's, Zab- that's Josh Winkowski. He's a pitcher. Winks. We got three three players to be named later, so exciting times in Bean Town.
3: We got three players with the same name.
0: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? They're triplets, crazy. and they all have the same first name, too. Uh, well, that should do it for this week. Um, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Jemai Webster. And um, hopefully,
3: no more cornerstone pieces will be gone by the next episode. No yeah. guarantees. No guarantees. <laughs> uh, Knock on
0: wood. Yeah.
3: Cool.
0: Bye, Andrew Benatendi. Cool. Thank you, Andrew, Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, thank you for everything. I'm going to go watch uh, Andrew Benintendi, Career Highlights, and Cry. You
3: you saved our season in 2018. Eh, we were up to one No. Nah, no, nah, he saved it. He saved it. The momentum completely changes. If the Astros – I agree, you play, agree with you. I, is is walk,
1: I, don't, I don't remember that play being up to one until I watched it again.
3: Yeah. My heart was absolutely pounding out of my chest, though, when that happened. I saw it off the bat. I was like, ah. Oh. I'm sure you'll get the same
0: of feeling when uh, franchise Cordero dives for a, a routine fly ball out there and left on a July summer day.
3: Hey, if he
1: di- if he's doing that and just making it look cool, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. all right. Make routine catches look cool. That's the direction I want to see baseball go in. Oh, yeah, also we should put there, a,
0: there. a C on franchise's uh, jersey, making the captain. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you meant. Mentioned- no,
3: no, just just an F for franchise. <laughs> yeah. Where the C would be. In, you know, no, right. no.
2: Instead of Boston, he should just have franchise across the front of his jersey.
3: He should just have, no, he should, where it says Red Sox, it should just say Franchi Cordero because he is the team. <laughs> he right. is, he the, is the
2: team.
0: His batting helmet should be gold, too. Mm. I
2: like that. Mm. Yeah. He, maybe he, maybe no, put no, some
3: jewels on it, make it look like a crown. Did, uh, did it, the his anything? bat
2: needs to have like studs on it or something, like diamond encrusted bat. <laughs> right, he should have
3: nails coming out of it. Ooh, right. Oh wait, but then if he hits the ball, the ball just sticks to the bat. Well, then he can just like chuck the bat because he's ripped. yeah. He could. He could.
1: He'd nah, he
2: just he'd carry the bat. He'd carry it because he's like like how he's carrying. Like our he franchise. carries
1: the team. Yep. Yeah. Didn't know Bowser use the thing with spikes on it in uh, Mario Super Sluggers? That game is goaded That game is wonderful. Yeah.
0: So excited for Franchi Cordero. Um, <laughs> see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.
3: Cool.